Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold, the sports car market podcast. Market experts and car friends for over 30 years, Keith Martin and Mark Green have come together through their mutual love for collector cars. Keith and Mark will take you on a ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so that you know when to make your own decisions to buy, sell, or hold. Hello, I'm Mark Green from the Cars Yeah! podcast. And I'm Keith Martin from Sports Car Market Magazine. Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold, what we like to call the essence of collecting. This is show number 10. So, Keith, we are back together again, my friend. How are you doing today? I am having a great day. I got my son's breakfast made. I can see the school bus coming in the morning. So when it's four blocks away, I know he's got to be out the door so he'll catch it. He was out the door. He got the school bus. And so I'm just here sitting and talking to you. Yeah, we'll have a little bit of fun today. Before we get involved with our guests, though, what I want to talk about today and ask you about, and it has to do with your blog. And for those of you listeners that don't receive Keith's blog, you can go to the Sports Car Market website and sign up. It's really a cool thing. And today he talked about an old car, whether he should take a trip with his son in an old car, because Keith does that with his kids. So Keith, tell us a little bit about your thought process for those of us with old cars and and going on these wonderful drives. Well, first of all, Mark, the world is different now than it was when I was 16. Really? So, so, you know, the notion of being 16 or 18, hopping in an old car and going for a drive is different than getting into one now. I've got this 65 Volvo with an automatic that's uh, pretty well dialed in. I think it's reliable. I'm thinking of taking a thousand mile road trip over spring break with my 12 year old son, Bradley. And I've just been musing about the fact that you know, the car really likes to go 65 or 70, so you want to be on two-lane roads. It's it's an old car, and even if it's totally dialed in, that doesn't mean that something won't fail that's 50 years old. I'm thinking of going to the Steens Mountain, to the Alvord Desert, Virginia City, all really remote areas. I'm just having thoughts about what it means to be out with my son on a back road somewhere uh, in an old car that, that has a you know, a higher chance of breaking down the new car. And if I took my little little Hyundai runaround car, it would be safe, four airbags, quiet. It would go 80. I could have AC and serious radio. So I would have no stress involved with the trip. My son, in, you know, in the end, I don't know if he really cares what car we're in as long as he's with me and we're together driving. So I, I'm really wrestling with the fact that I love old cars and the old car experience, but it's really safe to be out there alone. If I want a tour with 20 other cars, no big deal. Yeah, you got people around you. Well, let me put it this way. Obviously, things have changed since you were a youngster, and I hear a little bit of trepidation in your voice. Now, a couple of things that you've done to make the car safer, walk through those, because one I know is putting a three-point harness. So if something happened, you got a little more safety. Right. We have it actually in all, all four corners. It has inertia reel uh, shoulder harnesses. Volvo was uh, one of the first cars to have shoulder harnesses, if not the first car. So the mounting uh, points are there in the B pillar and in the rear. I've enhanced the suspension so it corners flatter. It's as good as it can be for what it is. Yeah, exactly. My son, when he was eight, and I, and I posted this on your blog today on your Facebook page, actually, where you posted the question where we talked about you or people go and follow that. You walked into a little bit of trap with your Volvo friends because they're all saying, 
Volvo, Volvo, Volvo. I know, I know. But, uh, you know, I bought a, a car that John Wilhoy built, a Beck Spider, back when my son was eight. And we, we flew down to Long Beach and drove it all the way back up the coast to Gig Harbor, 1,495 miles. He put those three-point inertia seatbelts in it for me because it only had lap belts. Of course, like that would really save us in that car. But that experience to this day is one of the most memorable that my son still talks about. And I'm so glad we did it. When we got in that car to leave, I said to John, well, I guess, I guess we have everything, a cell phone. We've got some, some water. We've got a couple tools, an extra spare belt, anything else we need. And this, these were his words. And these are the words I'll share with you. A great attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I so think I, that's I, all I you need. <laughs> Mark, if, if you had an eight-year-old grandson today, would you do the same trip with him in that car? Yeah. I would relive it in a heartbeat. I would. You know, I ended up selling my son's, I bought him a bug eye and I ended up selling that because I thought when he's 16, I don't want him driving, you know, an 1800 or 1600 pound bug eye Sprite around in modern traffic. I understand. We had a 914 we bought for my son when he was 15 and my wife looked at me and said, where are the airbags? And that car uh, went away and we bought a three series BMW. Yeah, there's a safety factor, but you know what? The importance of an experience yep. that you'll never have again, and you've done this with your daughter. I mean, she was a guest on my show. She talked about all the ex- – she still talks about those trips with you, with dad, with a huge smile. Those are memory markers in people's lives that never go away, and you'll never get them again. Well, and I'm aware that with my son, he's only 12 once. You're right. So uh, like with my daughter now, I'll never – when I took her to Retromobile two years ago in Paris – I don't know that I'll ever have the chance again with her work and her personal life to take her away for a week like that because she's so busy. So I think the lesson here for you listeners is the Nike quote, just do it, because if you don't, you may never get the chance again. Would you agree? I partially agree. (laughs) I think it's just do it, but I also... I'd rather be with somebody else along with me. You know, when we took our three vintage MGBs and drove them to Reno, there were three of us. So when we ran out of gas, there were two other cars there. Yeah, exactly. The question I really have is these desolate roads by myself with the 12-year-old. It may be too many variables for me. He wants to go on the SCM 1000 this summer. Oh, okay. So it's not that he doesn't want to be out doing this or that I don't want him to be. I'm just, it's just like I said, a lot of moving parts here and I'm thinking about them. That's it. So I I agree with you. Do it. But, and that's why, as I posted, I'm having my, you know, he's eating his uh, chicken tenders in the car and stuff. And I'm a, (laughs) I'm a real, a a car isn't really mine until my son has eaten it and spilled his milkshake onto the floor (laughs) because then it's a car. Yeah. Then it's not. You go to these car shows and the signs say "Don't touch," "Stand back," uh, you know, electrified fence around the car. How are you going to get a kid to love an old car if you scare the heck out of him every time he gets close to it? Well said. Well said. Well, I'll leave with this thought with you before we bring our guest on today. That was shared with me by Tommy Kendall, the race car driver, and he said, "Whatever you decide to do right now is right for you." That's right. There yes. Well said. All right. We'll be back in a minute. Uh, but first, a little special offer from Keith's team at Sports Car Market before we introduce our guest. We'll be right back. Mark Green here. I have subscribed to Sports Car Market Magazine for decades. While I've dropped most of my other car magazine subscriptions, Sports Car Market is the one I'll never let go. It's a hold. Getting it monthly in my mailbox brings a huge smile to my face. Sports Car Market Magazine is filled with great articles and market updates on collector car values. 
It's a virtual treasure trove of value. Even the advertisements are fun to watch. Boy, I've got a deal for you. You're going to get $10 off your print subscription simply by using the code BSH on their website. Go to sportscarmarket.com slash BSH, use the code BSH, and get 10 bucks off your print subscription of Sports Car Market Magazine. That's a deal. That's code BSH at sportscarmarket.com slash BSH. You can get $10 off your print subscription today. So, Mark, who's our guest today? We are talking with Bruce Trenery uh, here on Buy, Sell, Hold. Bruce Trenery is the owner of Fantasy Junction, located in Emeryville, California, a company that he started with two buddies way back in 1976. And by the next year, he took over the company. And since then, he has sold over 9,000 collector vehicles, including classics, vintage race cars, and pretty much everything else. Back in the day, Bruce raced Formula V, Formula C, Formula B. He continued racing with SCCA and has run in vintage races all over the world for over four decades. He's driven in rallies and tours and everything from a Jaguar D-Type to Ferraris, Alphas, Monzas, and even Porsche Can-Am. Bruce ran the company up until 2018 when his son Spencer took over the day-to-day operations. Bruce continues to buy, sell, hold, and enjoy fine old automobiles every day. So, Bruce, welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold. How are you today? Thank you, Mark. I'm fine. Thank you. Looking forward to this. This will be fun, Bruce. Uh, Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold. Here's my first question. If you could describe the collector car market today using just one word, what would that word be and why? Aging. And the reason I would say that is that I think the people that have the most direct contact with cars, um, and in this case we're talking about collector cars, are the baby boomers. And those baby boomers, born between, say, 1945 and 1960, are getting up in years, and uh, some of them are aging out of the uh, of the market. I think you're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sad now. <laughs> yeah, let's talk... Bruce, let's talk about three cars in your life that have made a difference. One that you bought, one that you sold, and one that you've never let go of. Let's start with the buy. Tell us about a car that you had to chase down, you wanted for a long time, it was hard to get, and what it was like when it finally came into your garage. I was uh, fixated with uh, 300 SL Gullwings when I was a young boy. I tried to buy one that broke down near my house in Kensington, California, the fellow wanted $2,800 for it, and my mother wouldn't loan me the money, oh. Um, oh. so I didn't get that one. But I ultimately got one in about 1973, 72, for $9,500, and it was a, a bit of a project to get, and I can go into detail on that if you'd like. Yeah, please do. Tell us about it. I was riding a dirt bike uh, in an area where they were building new homes in Pinole, California. And so the land had been all graded, and it was great for doing jumps and chasing my friends around on motorcycles. And it started to rain, so uh, we put the bikes back on the pickup and started to head down the hill. And there were some houses that had been completed in this project. And in the driveway directly across from this T-intersection I was coming down the hill from was a Mercedes Gullwing, all brightly painted in silver, but with no windows in it, sitting in the rain. And so I... uh I went and banged on the door, and I asked the people if they had any interest in selling this car. And the lady said that her husband owned a um, body shop, and somebody had left it there and had it painted, but had never picked it up. So to give give her my phone number, and her husband had called me that evening, which he did. And I said, I'd really like to have that car. And he said, I'll tell you what, you come over and you take it away. 
nothing about price or anything else. It was just take it. And he said, if the fellow comes back, I'll have him call you. But I needed the space in my building. So I took it home. And um, Did you it get didn't a title? No, it, I took it home and it didn't run very well. And so uh, it turned out that the head had a bunch of cracks in it between the uh, intake and exhaust ports because it had evidently run lean at one point. So I pulled the head off. Meanwhile, I went through the car and found some old registrations. And one registration was from a fellow in uh, in Emeryville where our shop is. And I went down and banged on his door and he said, oh, some... About a year ago, year and a half ago, some hippie showed up with a cigar box full of hundred dollar bills, and he sold it to him for six grand. I said, "Well, who was this fellow?" And he says, "Hey, um, I don't remember exactly, but I think he worked at the College of Arts and Crafts in Oakland." So I went up there. He said that the fellow's name had two first names, like Jim James or something, or Bill James or something. So I went up there and I said, "Is Bill James around?" Uh, and they said, "Do you mean James?" William or whatever it was. And uh, and I said, okay. And they said, no, he's in jail. <laughs> and so that was the reason he hadn't picked up the car. And it turned out he had been in jail for, I think, selling marijuana or whatever. So I managed to get a hold of him in Lompoc. said, I'd like to buy his car. And he said, Shh, I'm going to get out in a month. Give me your phone number. I'll call you. He did, and I showed him that the head was cracked and everything. He didn't seem to care very much. He said that he drove it across the Richmond Bridge flat out, and it never did run very well after that. So he wanted $9,500 in cash for it, and since it had knockoff wheels and everything, I uh, I bought it from him with a friend of mine who we each had about $4,500. And so that's how I got that particular car, and uh, and then we, quote, restored it, which in those days meant that you took off the brand-new silver paint job and the other four color, uh, coats of paint that were on it, and then we had to cut off the right front fender and weld it back on because somebody had put a fender on it where the headlight was facing down. And then we painted it back to its original color, redyed the seats, and rebuilt the motor, and we were away. Wow. Um, so that was how I got that car. Fascinating story. Well, I, I, I kind of chuckle when you said, well, some hippie up in Berkeley. Uh, good luck. There's a lot of those up there back Yeah, there were. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I was one of them myself. Yeah, you knew something about the names there. Let's talk about a significant vehicle that you've owned and sold. Now, this is a kind of silly question for someone like you, because we're talking about 9,000 vehicles, but let's narrow it down to something that you found maybe personally was very special. Uh, what made you decide decide to sell it? Uh, what was the, the selling price, perhaps, if you want to share that? And looking back, are you really sorry that you let it go? I would like to go back to the Mercedes for a second, actually. We had that car for about three years. And then I got married to Spencer's mother, and I wanted to take her around the world on a honeymoon for nine months, which was how long we figured it would take to do what we wanted to do. Since I didn't have the money to do that, and it just you know started with Fantasy Junction, the only way to fund it was to sell a Gullwing, which uh, I did, and we got $25,000 for it and went around the world for nine months. People say, oh, you must be real sorry you had to sell that car, but I wouldn't have taken nine months to travel around the world any other time in my life, and it was just a car. So I wasn't really that uh, brokenhearted that I sold it, even though they're worth you know a million dollars or more now. Sure, absolutely. Well, is there another sale or sold a car you can share that you kind of look back fondly on and say, "Man, wish I still had that." Right, Bruce. Something that you are brokenhearted about selling. When we started Fantasy Junction, a friend of mine had called me and bought a 427 Cobra that he tried to drive down from Wisconsin, and it kept blowing the Firestone 500 tires out from underneath it, and he left it in St. Louis. And I flew back and picked it up and and drove it back in three days, which was enough 
being in a 427 in July. But then we painted and upholstered it and everything. And in order to keep Fantasy Junction running, um, I sold that for 21 and a half, which you know was probably a fairly low price uh, for a 427 Cobra even then. I kind of thought that that's one that kind of got away from me. What do you like about that car, other than not maybe not driving it in the middle of the summer for three three days straight? I thought it was a beautiful thing to look at. It was a light or dark metallic blue with black leather, and um, and I loved the idea that you could warm it up and take your friends for a ride and scare everybody to death, and then park it and close the garage door and hope nobody showed up to to arrest, arrest you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're going to come back, and Keith's going to have a question for you. We're going to take a very short break. Thank our sponsor. And uh, listen to a little special offer that his team has for our listeners. We'll be right back. I've been subscribing to Sports Car Market Magazine for decades, and it shows up like clockwork in my mailbox every month. But what about when I'm on the road? Did you know that digital subscriptions to Sports Car Market are just $2.50 a month when you sign up with the promo code DIGITAL50? That's less than a cup of coffee. You get 50% off regular price just for listening here to Buy, Sell, Hold. Plus, digital subscribers receive instant access to a year's worth of back issues and the exclusive Insider's Guide, including the 2020 Insider's Guide to the beautiful Amelia Island Concourse and all the spring auctions as well. No more boredom while sitting at the airport or on your flight. To get your Sports Car Market digital subscription at this discount, go to sportscarmarket.com slash digital50. Your order will automatically get you the 50% off. What a deal. Go and sign up today at sportscarmarket.com slash digital50. All right, we're back. So, uh, Keith, you got a special question for Bruce. Yeah, Bruce. So you've sold 9,000 cars uh, over the time with Fantasy Junction. Is there a vehicle that you own that you'll never let go of, that, that has ex- memories that no matter what the price, you'd say, this one is staying with me forever? I've had a lot of cars, uh, a couple of cars that I've had for 35 and 40 years, so they'd probably fall into that category. But when you say never or always, you can always ask for trouble. But uh, one is a Lancia Aurelia B24 convertible that I bought in 1980 at the foot of Mount St. Helens after the volcano and drove back to uh, to Berkeley. It was a car that was owned by Marion Weber, who had MG Mitten that used to advertise in road and track and stuff. And she had the car, she got the car from Sergio Farina and um, she showed it at Pebble Beach in 1958. And it, it has brawny wheels and nerdy kit and things. And it's really, really a nice car. And I had those cars in high school, uh, those type of cars, because they were about the same price as an MGA, even though they were an incredible machine. And it was because they didn't have any parts servicing. And you could be waiting for a $2 seal and your Elantia really would be parked for months. <laughs> so that one I loved. What was your favorite thing about driving that car? They're very, very sophisticated, Mark. They're, it's a, it's a pushrod V6, two and a half liter with sodium cool valves and hemispherical heads and dual Webers. And the drive shaft comes right out of the motor and goes back to a rear mounted transaxle with the clutch in front and then inboard brakes and a DD on rear end. So those cars handle fantastically. They don't have a lot of horsepower, but they just are a joy to drive compared to most cars from the fifties. You know, to give you an idea, Launch Aurelia, when they were almost new, uh, was driven by the, a factory driver, I think, Tarufi, who finished second in the Millimilia in a two-liter car against, you know, 
everything else, all 600 cars that were in the race, and including all the Ferrari team and everything else, only one Ferrari 4.1 beat them. So they're wonderful handling cars, and, and I think that they're very beautiful. Pinafrino did a really nice job on the design. I was just going to jump in here. I know our good friend Donald Osborne loves Lancias. Right, right, Keith? Yeah, he does. Yeah. He does. He's, a, he's a launch a geek from way back. Yeah. yeah. Do you still have that car? We do, yeah. I gave it to Spencer when he was a year old so that if something happened to me before he got to college, you know, he'd have something to sell to pay for his tuition. And <laughs> I'm still here, so we still have it. It's a convertible or a spider? It's a convertible. Do you, I mean, there's a big price difference between the two. Is there a fundamental difference between the cars? I think it's the difference between, for example, a Porsche Cabri- a 356 Cabriolet and a Porsche Speedster. The, the Speedster is the essence, the, the prettier car. In the case of the Spider, they have a noisy first gear and the drive shaft's not as good. They also are not as, I'm six foot two, so there's not as quite as comfortable for a lar- uh, larger person. Uh, the windshield frame comes right to your eyesight. Uh, level and so I I had several spiders during high school and college and they're beautiful but I prefer the convertible to drive. So this car belongs to Spencer now. If Spencer came to you and said, "Dad, uh, there's a house that I want to buy and I'm going to sell this car to buy the house," how would you feel about that? It's been in the family for 40 years, you know, so you have that feeling. And I raced it at Monterey 40 years ago. A couple of times we showed it some, uh, some over the years. Uh, so I'd probably missed it a little bit. But on the other hand, you know, he's into modern GT cars and prototypes and things. And so it's not like that car gets used enough in our family. So it wouldn't break my heart or anything. It's up to him. It's his car. Uh, whatever he wants to do with it is his decision. So let me ask you another question, Bruce. Here's a, let's talk about a car that you might have owned that you don't own now. And let's call it the all-around collector car, one that could be used for as many things as you can imagine, one that's technically interesting, that's visually attractive, that's a good value for the money. So your all-around best collector car. I've thought about that when I saw your notes. And I would say, honestly, it's probably an Alpha Giulietta, and it could be a Sprint Coupe if you didn't want to be in the sun, or a Giulietta Spider if you wanted to be in the open. And I think that those cars, and I know you love Alphas, really deliver a lot because they're twin over a cam. They rev nicely. They have nice uh, all-synchro gearboxes. They're unibody. They don't rattle like uh, uh, some of the British cars when you go over road tracks and stuff. They handle well. You can keep up with modern traffic. You know, I think that they're, and they're beautiful. I think Pininfarina and Bertoni both did nice work on those cars in the 50s. So to me, those are inexpensive cars that'll get you in most of the rallies and they're fun to drive and you can, you know, drive them thousands of miles if you need to to get home. I'm not going to argue with Bruce. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Keith kind of likes Alphas mean, a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, the other, the other car, which I know Keith likes also is a good all around car if you're thinking of a Ferrari, which is a 308 GT4 because of the driving position and the uh, and the feel of, of using the car. As Keith knows, I have a lot of, or have had a lot of Ferraris, and uh, I think the GT4 provides as much fun as, as cars that cost a lot more. So that's not as eligible for some of the rallies that require uh, a car built in the 50s, but for a lot of the more, uh, there, there's a lot of rallies popping up now that are popping up now that, uh, uh, allow you to bring anything that's kind of interesting. And that's a really good car because it has air conditioning and, uh, 
and you can you know go at fairly stout speeds with it uh, all day, and uh, and they're comfortable, and yet they're not very expensive. Yeah, Bruce, I'm, I'm not sure I'd call it air conditioning. I think I would call it slight cooling of the air in the cockpit. <laughs> Having experienced that, right? Right, Keith? <laughs> yeah, you know, Bruce, it's interesting. The SDM-1000, we set our cutoff date at 74. And when you open up the, the range of classic cars from 68 to 74, you get a whole different set of cars that are much more capable and much easier to rally with. I agree. You know, I mean, a nice 65, 66, 67 Corvette comes to mind. That's a nice, comfortable car. You could fix it in a gas station. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of XKEs, you know, it'd be fun. Yep. A lot of 911s would fall into there. A lot of 911s. 911s a wonderful car, sure. So let's talk about your business, Bruce. How has the market today affected your business, your company, and any cars that you might be interested in? So what's going on out there, and how is it affecting you? Like I say, I, I think that the population that's really interested in these cars is aging, and that means that the um, the pool of buyers is shrinking while the uh, supply of cars is is growing. And so that means that, that a lot of these cars that have reached, you know, peaks in 2014 have come down sometimes 25 or 30 percent since then. And we can all, you know, say, oh, that's too bad that the value of the cars is going back down. But if you're out trying to buy a car and use it in some of these events, that can be used to your advantage. And I think particularly cars, if there were rallies that would be fun to use, let's say, a 50s American car on, you can buy them for a fraction of what it costs to restore them. And so the value, I think, is really good there. And I think the value of these cars has become more realistic in the last three or four years than we were used to in the in the um, 14 period. I think when the market collapsed on Ferraris, for example, which is, goes back to what I was saying, Mark, about always and never, is that I used to tell people that Ferraris have always gone up. From 1976, 1989, they always went up. And then they dropped by about 70%, which was a surprise to me because I couldn't figure out why that happened. And it took them about 17 years to get back up to where they were in 1989. What happened, I think, was when the market dropped, the, the people that wanted cars were still young enough to want them in 89-90. When it dropped in 2000 with a dot-com boom, I think, again, they were young enough to want to buy back into the market. When it dropped in 2008 with the financial crisis, I think that they were looking at it, the baby boomers, as if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And so the market just shot forward because they had a lot of available money. I think that the younger crowd, you know, you only, it's often been said that the cars that appeal to you are the cars that you saw parked outside of your high school when you were a kid and always lusted after college. I think that that's probably true. And A6G 1500 Maserati or a 120 Jaguar was not parked outside of a millennial's high school or college at this point, but more a Countach or a Boxer or a Dino or, uh, or something like that, or even more modern, of course. And so I think that, that that those are going to be have to be the focus that we're going to look forward to in the future, unless the millennials go back and get interested in things like Model A's and stuff, which you can buy for nothing and go pretend you're in the 20s again. You, most of your cars are on consignment. So that means that the owner still owns them. They bring them to you. Uh, you agree on a selling price and you take a commission. In today's changing market, when somebody brings you a car, how do you talk to them about a, what a realistic selling price is, especially if the car was worth 30% more two years ago? What kind of conversation do you have? 
Um, it's interesting because there's there is some psychological name for it, but if Keith walked in here and I said, Keith, that Luso that you bought for $100,000 is now $2 million, I'd only have to tell Keith that once. And he, that would sink into his mind. He would remember that forever. He would think, I'm a genius. You know, I've made the right decisions. Everything's wonderful. But if Keith came here in 19, uh, 2014 and bought the Luso for $2 million, and I had to explain to him when he wanted to sell it now that it's worth $1.5, I'd have to tell Keith over and over that that was the case before it had sink in because people don't like to think that whatever it is is negative to their finances. So you have to you have to get over that hurdle and I think that right now we're in a period in the market where people are still clinging on to the idea that maybe all the cars have gone down that they want to buy but their car hasn't gone down yet. And so you have to you have to get over that with people and it's a natural I think human trade before really the market gets lively again and things start to trade. So we have to explain that, you know, because you saw a car of your manufacturer and your model sell in 2014 that won Pebble Beach, your car that has been in your garage since, you know, Carter was president is not necessarily worth what that car sold for in 2014 anymore. It's just like you can't sell your Apple stock the day after, you know, they quit making iPhones for what you could sell it for when 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 they were going up you know exactly do you see with Spencer uh in charge of the business mostly now as as you've handed the reins to him will he start to evolve with this uh this market and sell different eras of cars more because of what you just shared of course, Mark. We're doing that now with, you know, some of the more modern Porsches, some of the interesting BMW M series cars, the M sixes and things like that, E five hundred Mercedes, some of those cars. Uh, and also in vintage racing, we're seeing a movement with the younger people to car to events like the Daytona Classic where you can run more modern uh, LMPC cars, LMP one and two and, and big G T stuff. That is kind of not very expensive and very safe uh, when it's too old to be used in pro racing. So those cars, I think, can be bought for not a lot of money. They do cost some money to run, but they're very safe as far as operational compared to somebody, you know, buzzing around in a birdcage or something. Fascinating. Well, definitely the market trends are changing and you're at the, the spear tip of those you always have been. So we've been really, really grateful for your time today. I wondered if you could... Thank you, Mark. I've enjoyed it. Well, of course, if you could share maybe one last parting piece of wisdom or thought when it comes to people buying, holding, and selling collector cars. Okay. I mean, I've thought about that too a little bit after you mentioned it. And I, I would say buy what you like to have. That is, don't buy a car because... I always saw these cars go up, and this one's a color I don't like, and it's got a lot of miles on it, but it was a great deal. That's not necessarily a good deal for you. Buy what you like, and try and buy something, the best one you can of whatever it is. That is, that if you buy a, an alpha spider that, out of somebody's backyard that needs a complete restoration, you probably won't get to enjoy it for several years, and it will probably cost you more than going out and buying the best one when you're done anyway. So buying a really good one, I think, is at least one that's operationally really good. And the other thing I want to probably make a, a point of, because is that all these cars don't have to be concourse. They just have to be functional. And so having a nice old car that if somebody opens a door into it, you don't feel like wringing their neck 
is probably a better bet than having one that's perfect. We often think that if you have a perfect car that's ready to run Pebble Beach, it's about as useful as a parts car because you're afraid to drive either one of them. And so, you know, a nice functional car would be what I would get and and use it. Have fun with it. There you go. Absolutely. Keith has been telling me that I'm trying to get out of my perfect car realm. He says I'm trapped, and I think I'm believing it. I always like to have a car that's just perfect, but as a result, I don't enjoy it. So uh, words of wisdom from somebody who knows. Uh, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? You can check us online at www.fantasyjunction.com. Our email is sales at fantasyjunction.com. And our phone is 510-653-7555. And we're here every day but Sunday. Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find all these links on Bruce's show notes page. Just go to sportscarmarket.com slash podcast. You can find this show. You can find all of these notes and links to them as well as the other past guests we've had here on Buy, Sell, Hold. There's been 10 now. I can't believe we're up to guest number 10. Or you can go to my website, carsia.com, and listen there. Bruce's name will be in the search bar, and you can find him on either site. Bruce, this has been really fun and interesting. Maybe we need to have Spencer back on the show at some point in time. Thanks for sharing uh, some wonderful, enlightening news with us today. I'm going to try to loosen my collar a little bit. I think that's something I need to do. <laughs> yeah, think of a perfect car as a bouquet of flowers. Uh, it, it only lasts a few days. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Bruce, thanks so much for taking the time. And, thank and you, Pete. Thank so, you, Mark. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate, you're so thoughtful in, in your answers here, and, I, and it really means a great deal to the listeners. Again, thank Good. you. I'm glad. It, I hope everybody has fun. They will. Make sure, listeners, you check out Fantasy Junction. It is a great place. If you're ever near Emeryville, stop by. And say hello to Bruce and his son, Trenary. You're going to have a blast. We'll talk to you next time. Take care. Hey, Mark Green here. If you love the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast, you'll want to listen to my Cars Yeah podcast, where over five years, I've interviewed over 1,475 inspiring automotive enthusiasts. You'll have free access to my guest shows five days a week. These are amazing people who share their world around cars, trucks, and motorcycles. I take a deep dive into their businesses and they share with you how they've wrapped their passion for vehicles into their lives. Plus, go to the CarsYeah.com website and hit the free book button, and I'll email you my free filler-up book. It's an ebook filled with beautiful fuel filler fun and inspiring quotes from my past guests. Once subscribed, you'll get my weekly blog as well. You can find all the Cars yeah shows on CarsYeah.com or on any mobile device using your podcast app. Just search for Cars yeah Podcast and subscribe today. That way you'll get both Buy, Sell, Hold with Keith and me and the Cars yeah Podcast delivered right to your mobile device or your computer. Thanks for listening. We hope to have shed some light today on the collector car market. You can listen to all the Buy, Sell, Hold podcasts at sportscarmarket.com and carsyeah.com. You'll find hundreds of inspiring automotive enthusiasts on the Cars Yeah website as well. Be sure to log into sportscarmarket.com and subscribe to Keith's SCM weekly newsletter. You'll find digital issues, insider event guides, and price guides, along with our platinum database, column profiles, classifieds, and many other resources. Join Keith and Mark next week to hear from another automotive industry leader who will help you determine when to buy, sell, or hold. 